Please pray with me. Lord God, thank you for the gift and blessing of this day. Lord, thank you for your holy and life-giving presence. Thank you for your mercy and grace, Lord God, and your call upon our hearts that you have drawn us here for a purpose. Lord, this is just not another day in our lives. This is a special day, a day that is consecrated to you. And so, Lord, we pray that you would use it powerfully and make it a day of great transformation and growth in our knowledge and love of you. Lord, we pray that you would reveal yourself profoundly to us now. Speak to us. Lord God, I don't know the words that your people need to hear, but you know. So we pray that you would speak to each and every person today. And that your words, Lord God, would touch deep in their hearts and would draw them to you. And we pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Please be seated. Hey, it's good to see you all today. How's everyone doing today? Good. I'm so glad to hear that. Now, as many of you know, uh, I drive around an old car, and for over a year, my old car was not working right. Not working right at all. It would start, and it would run, and it would drive okay, but as soon as I merged onto the freeway heading towards Brunswick and tried to climb up that big hill, it would backfire through the intake with this tremendous bang, boom, and then it would lose all power and start to like stall, and then it would, power would surge back on, and then it would lurch forward, and then it would do it again, bang, and lose power, and then surge again, and so my only option was to ease off the gas and kind of crawl up that hill, which everyone else was very happy around me to see that happening. You know, they'll be trying to avoid me as they're flying by at 60 miles or faster on that road. I couldn't figure out what was wrong with it. So I replaced the cylinder heads, the intake, the alternator, the wiring. I tested the exhaust. I tested portions of the fuel system, all hoping I could figure out what the problem was. And for a year, almost every night when I went to bed, I would go to sleep thinking about my car and its problems. It would be rattling around in there. I wonder if it's this. I wonder if it's that. I wonder if I just did this thing, if it would fix it. Every night, thinking and wondering what is wrong with it. And then trying those harebrained schemes I came up with and finding them all come to nothing. Because they were just shots in the dark. I didn't know what the problem was, and so if you don't know what the problem is, it's really hard to figure out the solution, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. And so all my efforts to correct it were fruitless. The book of Nehemiah has some similar issues to this. I think, I mean, they didn't have cars back then, I don't think. It was the 5th century BC. When was the car invented? It was probably after that, right? Uh, And this record, the book of Nehemiah, records the account of the Israelites returning from exile in Babylon. Actually, the Persian Empire is the one that had let them go back because Persia had conquered that portion of Babylon. And there they are, returning back to the nation, trying to reestablish themselves. In particular, we have a group from Judea, and the tribe of Judah was the last to be exiled and the first to be brought back into the promised land. 
So they had the shortest time of exile. And there they are now back in their homeland and trying to reestablish themselves. Now there's two main ways that they reestablish themselves back in Israel. The first thing they do is they build a wall, but I understand that's a difficult topic right now. That was supposed to be funny, guys. Not really, we're not going to get into that. That was earlier in the book. You can read all about it. but the, the, the secondary, but the second thing they did, and this is really the primary way they tried to establish themselves, was that they uh, tried to renew their relationship with God. They sought to renew their relationship with the God who had delivered them, the God who had set them apart and made them his people, the God who had given them this land. They wanted to renew their relationship with him and with his steadfast love. And that's where we are in our passage for today. Uh, The people of Israel, they've gathered in a square in front of the water gate, and Ezra the priest and the teacher, or the scribe, as our passage describes him as, brings out the book of the law of Moses. Now, we're uncertain if this book of the law of Moses refers to the entire Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, or if it refers only to the book of Deuteronomy. But regardless, he brings it out to read the book on the first day of the seventh month. Now, the first day of that month was the beginning of the Jewish civil new year, or Rosh Hashanah. Right? Later in that month will be the day of atonement, Yom Kippur, where the sins of the Israelites were forgiven. And later on will be the festival of booths remembering the wilderness journey of the Israelites. So it's an important month, just jam-packed with important festivals and memorials of God's grace and his goodness, of his provision and his deliverance. And so here we are in that first day of the Jewish civil year, and the people gather, and Ezra begins to read to them. He is standing up above the people so that they can hear him, and we see elements of liturgy present in the way that, that this reading of the law is carried out. The people stand when he opens the book, and he blesses the Lord, and the people reply with amen, amen, which is Hebrew for so be it, lifting up their hands. They bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. So it's really actually very similar to our church service in many ways, the things that we do with our bodies in the midst of our worship of God. Right? It's kind of cool to see that thousands of years ago uh, that the Jewish people did similar elements to us. Then he reads, and the Levites are there interpreting the words for the people. Remember, it's been generations that the people have been exiled, like 60 years that they had been out of their own homes. And so they would not had the opportunity to gather in public and to read the words of God and to study them and to share and discuss what they meant in their lives. They hadn't had that opportunity. And so we're not sure entirely how much the people even really knew about the word of God, the average person on the street there that day. And so the Levites are there, gathered around, spread among the people, and interpreting to the people what God is saying through his word. So we, we assume that Ezra would read a section of the scripture, and then the Levites would come through, and they would share and interpret what he had just read. And then when that was all done, then Ezra would read another chunk of the scripture, and that would be interpreted. And they would just go through piece by piece the entire 
Pentateuch or the book of Deuteronomy. So our passage puts it like this. So they read from the book, from the law of God, with interpretation. They gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. It's really cool. It's like what we do on Sundays, right? We give the sense so that people understand the reading. That's the point of what we do today. Now, the passage tells us that Nehemiah, the governor, was also there and taking part in this as well. He and Ezra and the Levites then tried to reassure the people, saying, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. Now, this comes as somewhat of a surprise, uh, because we might think that this would be a great day of joy. I mean, they've got the wall done. They're back in their home, ta- their home place. They are reestablishing themselves. They are reading the word of God for the first time in public. You think this is an exciting event, right? The, the culmination of years and years of hopes and dreams of what it could be like to be back. But the passage tells us that all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. All the people wept. Why is this? Well, this is what the law does. It shows us how God's people ought to live. It describes the perfect life. But in the description of perfection, there is conviction. In the same way that looking at a fitness magazine can make us realize how far we are from perfection, can't it? Or looking at a home and garden magazine makes us realize, oh gosh, I hope the photographer doesn't show up at my house today for that. Right? It realizes, it brings to mind how far perfection is away. By the grace of God, though, the people are able to hear the law. Maybe for the first time in their lives, they're able to hear the law. And then have it explained to them by the Levites. And they understand that they have failed. They have fallen short of God's command to them. And so they're convicted under the law. They have their land. They have built their wall. But their lives have fallen far short of God's call upon their hearts. So they cry. They weep because despite their public works campaign in their city, the greatest need is still unmet. The one thing that human hands cannot repair, the human heart is broken on the inside. Like my car, I had done so much to it, yet it still did not run right. That's how the Israelites were. They had tried so many things to make themselves be reestablished in their land, but ultimately they realized that there was a fly in the ointment, and that was that they were broken. But Ezra, Nehemiah, and the Levites want the people to rejoice and to set this day apart as holy. They say, go on your way, eat the fat, and drink sweet wine, and send portions of them to those for whom nothing is prepared. There's a cool message about sharing in there. For this day is holy to our Lord, and do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Even as they are cut to the core with this message of God's law, at the same time, they are encouraged to remember that God is a God who saves. He is a God who delivers what is broken. He is a God who had brought them back from captivity. 
The calendar would remind them of this later on in the month, the day of the atonement when the Lord forgave their sins, and the festival of booths when they would remember that God had saved them before and claimed them as his own and taken them from slavery in Egypt and brought them to the promised land. The people, therefore, could trust that the Lord was a God who forgives and who desires relationship with them. Now, I can tell you for myself that the moment I finally discovered what was actually wrong in my car, I thought I might cry for a minute. Because for so long, I'd known something was wrong, but didn't know exactly what the problem was. And so I felt stuck. I felt trapped with no solution. But when I finally knew what it was, I knew that it could be fixed. It could be healed. The reading of the law for the Israelites has revealed to them their problem. They finally have a diagnosis. They understand what is wrong with them, what is wrong in their nation. They understand that they have fallen short of what God has called them to. The challenge, though, is unlike my car, they can't fix it. Can't fix it. They can't get a wrench on it. They can't just repair the part. It is beyond their control. And so at the very moment they realize they cannot repair it, they hear this message, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. God in his power and in his mercy was the one who could repair this and who would repair this. They understood at that moment that the Lord is a God who forgives. We call this grace. We call this the gospel, the good news of God. And you and I, we are blessed with even a fuller lens through which to see God's grace and mercy, his forgiveness played out. And that lens is through the life of Jesus Christ. And remember that Jesus Christ took the law and elevated it to its highest level. And he showed us also at the same time complete and absolute and total grace when he died for us. The reality is, is that you and I, we're not so different from those Judeans. We do all kinds of things to try to establish ourselves to gird ourselves up and to make us strong. But we all have a weakness inside of us. It's our broken human nature. It's just there. And we can't fix it. And so we ask God. We ask God to reach in, to heal us, to set us free, to wash us clean with the blood of his son, Jesus Christ, and to forgive us. Today, today, this very moment, he is waiting to do just that for you and for me. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you. Thank you that you are a God who convicts, that you are a God who reveals our sin. You are a God who, who diagnoses our problem. Lord, but you don't leave us there. 
You don't leave us just with a diagnosis, but with no hope of healing. Lord, you then reach into our lives and transform us. And thank you for that. We pray, Lord God, that you would help us. Help us to be humbled by the reading of your word. May your law convict us and reveal ways that we have fallen short. And we pray that this conviction would open us up to the hearing of your good news, that you have forgiven us. You have set us free. You have transformed us and healed us through your well-beloved Son. Lord God, and as people who live by grace, may we go out into this world filled with it and proclaiming it to others, that they might know your hope and your joy and your saving mercy. Lord God, thank you. Thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ, and for the immeasurable gift that he has given us. And we pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.